0: Episode 169, Shared Decision Making in Patient Centered Care. I'm your host, Dr. Justin Trusclair, and today we hear Dr. Chris Chippendale's perspective. Join 2017 and 18 Podcast Awards nominated host and best selling author on Amazon as we get a behind the curtain look at all types of doctor and guest specialties. Let's hear a doctor's perspective. Welcome back to the podcast. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas, Merry Holidays because it is upon us. December was a fun month so far. I got interviewed on the Modern Chiropractic Marketing Show as well as the Chiropractic Philanthropist for the one sheets and CV revisions that I can do. So I was super pumped about that. I'm sure they'll be released sometime in January or February of 2021. So that's a good way to start the year. One last little plug, those trilingual animal coloring books are still around. They're on Amazon. The five in one book is the one I'd recommend. It's less than 10 bucks. Makes great Christmas gifts, stocking stuffers, and if you order soon, you can still get it before the big day. All right, enough of that. Today's show, we are going to discuss patient-centered care, evidence-based, how to speak, not like a scripted report of findings or anything like that, although we do get a sample of what that might look like, but we want to know things like what does a patient-centered care versus a doctor-centered care looks like? What are the differences there? How do you meet the patient where they are, right? You're like, oh, they need to do all these exercises and all this stuff. And the patient might be like, "Uh, I don't care about the exercises. I just want to be headache free. Okay, what does that look like? How do you wrestle with that divide between, well, this is what you should do and this is what you want. Is there a way to bridge that? So we're going to discuss all those types of things. So that's exciting. We'll even discuss fees because he is from the United Kingdom and he discusses when is a good time to ask for referral and near the end. When we talk about the relationship advice, he has a special intimate time with yourself. Mmm, it's not what you think. All right, the books he recommended, the show notes, and the transcripts can all be found at adoctorsperspective.net slash 169. Let's go hashtag behind the curtain. Live from Germany and Seven Oaks, United Kingdom, which is just outside of London, today on the show. We have a special guest that really focuses on patient-centered care. I know it's a buzzword, but we'll find out what that means to him. Effective communication, building trust and rapport, and all of those types of things. This is so important, and he's been at it since uh, 2013. He graduated from the Royal College of Chiropractic. Just happy to have him on. So please welcome Dr. Chris Chippendale.
1: Hey, Justin. Thanks for having me. Nice to meet you.
0: Very exciting. I always love the accents. (laughs) But... (laughs) So for those who don't know, chiropractic is a real thing in 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 the United Kingdom. Like you
1: have to get yeah yeah there's
0: schools, there's classes, there's boards, just like America yeah, and Australia. Pretty
1: much like the states there, so yeah yeah. Okay. Yeah, we have we have qualifications and everything here. <laughs> yeah yeah.
0: In Germany, it's kind of you know a little um there's a reciprocal licenses, but at the same time we're not called doctors here. We always have to put ah like, uh, okay USA at the back and then you can to right. kind of the Oh, away I've heard this
1: it. in Germany. Yeah, it's a little bit, it's a bit of a gray area. I think every country in Europe has its own rules as well with it all. Yeah, Very and I different.
0: think maybe the Netherlands too, so you can kind of, you don't know, have to retake boards. Because I don't know about you, but if you wanted to go practice in America, even if that's allowed, I don't know, it's a lot of effort to retake boards, and there's not a mm. lot of good uh, reciprocal licensing, so it makes it tough.
1: Yeah, we're bad with that in the UK as well. We make everybody do a lot of work. doesn't matter where you train. We make you jump through a lot of hoops.
0: I remember uh, trying to go to Ireland one time when I was exiting China. I was like, oh, yeah, Ireland or Scotland, that'd be great. And then you start looking into it and you're like, oh, man. And then <laughs> not there's if like work. case studies that you can do instead of taking the boards. I was like, wow, I don't even know where to begin with that. And it's a lot of money. Yeah, they,
1: I think they want to see like your notes from previous patients and things. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah.
0: And in China, that's not going to work. <laughs> I had <have> to go <laughs> back to Colorado. The notes were much better back then. <laughs> oh man See, so y'all are like America everything has to be documented proof that you did yeah.
1: it. yeah 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 so I guess the biggest difference uh, over here is that we're mainly cash practices um, oh. the insurance isn't really an issue a lot of us take insurance but the vast like I take it from most insurers uh, but we the patients pay off in cash and then they get reimbursed by the insurers there are a couple of insurers that don't let you do that but more and more chiropractors are saying we're not going to work with them now I'd say for me, at least 90% are, uh, are paying out of pocket.
0: Now, is that good or bad?
1: It's good. It's, we don't, yeah, it basically if the patient agrees to pay for it, they'll pay for it. It's, you know, I, it amazes me hearing about how it is in the States, how you do all this work and then you hope the insurers are going to say, yes, we'll pay you for that. And you've got all these codes that you have to, I, I keep hearing you guys talk about these codes and I just think that sounds like a lot of work. You, you use the wrong code. And they'll say no, we're not gonna pay you for twenty percent of the treatment or something. It's uh yeah, I'm I'm not envious of that. That's probably why I'll stick in the UK. <laughs> you can think
0: uh I wouldn't I don't know, maybe unethical chiropractors at some point where you know they would always bundle these two things together and it's like, Well wait, you did it on every patient, so they're like, Okay, well now we're just gonna say this and this together in the same region. That's one thing. Yeah, team.
1: I can understand why it's happened there, yeah. But um just the idea that
0: Do y'all charge higher prices then, or do you still kind of charge around that 40 to 55 range
1: uh it, i mean it depends largely on where you are if you're in central london you could you could probably be paying i don't know i think it's probably guys there who charge 70 80 pounds for uh you know for a treatment uh-huh. uh where i'm uh, i'm 50 for a treatment and then 90 for the initial consultation places in the uk might be half of that it varies quite a lot geographically because it's not based on insurers it's based on what the people in your area are you know, willing to pay basically yeah um, so it's, it can be quite local with that yeah
0: do you have to upcharge for like rehab and everything or is it just sort of 50 and you just no we
1: we sort of do it where yeah you, you pay for the treatment it's a bit different to the States British people expect that if I'm paying you for that I'm going to get everything so if I if I show them some rehab or I send them some exercises at home that's included uh so you might charge for equipment if you know we sell therabands and ice packs separately and things but I don't charge more if I'm going to use some acupuncture as well or if I'm going to do some traction it's uh yeah you pay for that visit and you get whatever you need on that visit okay
0: so you really have to think about that price like what's kind of the (laughs) the highest aim so you don't shortchange yourself on the hard cases and everything else
1: Although it's off, I mean, some will base it on time. So for most practitioners, it'll be you'll have it. That price gets you a set treatment time, and you might need a double treatment, but you'll pay double for that. I'm I'm a little bit of an outlier in that I don't do that. I don't like it. That fee. No, I just I feel like I'm selling my time, and sometimes I don't. I feel like I'm punishing somebody if they need a bit more that day. Well,
0: and then you know, why am I getting another 20 minutes this today? I don't make it fit in 30, man. Stop talking. Show me the exercise yeah. <laughs> and just get it done. I'm not paying you twice.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing is that to do it and to really be flexible with it. It's like, well, they need to know ahead of time what they're going to pay. So yeah. you either just say to them, you need to pay double each time and we're going to spend double or not. But I, I'd rather just say, yeah, that's what you, that's what it costs to come and see me today. And I'm going to give you everything I can that you need on that visit. Um, it's just it's easier for me. It's easy for the patient. I found
0: what about like membership stuff? Where they pay, you know, whatever, 70 bucks a month and then
1: some Yeah, some fee. places will do that. Um Yeah, it tends to be, it's more the, I don't know that it's more the higher volume places, but the places that really gear around sort of a lot of maintenance care. Well, that's really their whole thing is to get people on regular maintenance um, might do that. I, I kind of, I like the idea a little bit of saying, you know what, pay this much per month and you're covered and we've got you. I just think there's too much variation. You just can't predict when somebody's going to have a flare-up and then you go, you know, okay, either, no, that's your one maintenance visit this month, that's it. Uh, Or do you go, ah, you get, if you have one flare-up every three months, we'll cover you there for three, you know, you've got to get into this whole calculating and then the patients are just looking at it going, are okay you a am i, am I gonna what? actually yeah it's just like am i buying an insurance product here um so i d- I don't do that we just they can they can buy a blocker treatment for a bit of a discount um yeah. i ha- i did dabble i'm not doing this at the moment but i did dabble with uh doing a case fee yeah for a little while where not for everybody but if i felt okay we're going to need to work together for a little bit of time if it's going to be like at least three months i might say look you can pay per visit and this is what the average patient like you would cost would, would end up paying, or you can pay a lump sum now, or you can pay it in two installments. And this is for whatever you need. Yeah. Um, and if you end up needing more, that's fine. It's covered.
0: Sounds like a Josh Wagner style right there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, and it's nice in that when it's suitable for the right people, it works well. And some yeah. patients loved it. Um, we didn't get any negative feedback actually, but it's just, it's trying to calculate that. Yeah. And then you're kind of having a track and go, ah, okay, like there's some people. Yeah, you've got to work out where that fee is going to be, uh, and it's—I I don't know—we stopped doing it like when we came open back up after the, the lockdown. Um, yeah, you really I, like, haven't gotten around to do it. Yeah, and it was like I, I, don't, I don't really I keep track of this.
0: You came in one week and we were shut down for four. <laughs>
1: yeah, we had a, we had a few on it at the time. I just said to, I just said, look, we're hitting pause on this, and then when you come back, we'll see where you're at. And uh, I think most of them were doing pretty okay and went, okay, well, let's just pick it up where we were. And then a couple, we were like, look it's gone back. Okay, so we'll refund you all the stuff you haven't used and we'll square it off so it's okay. And, um I like that. go. Yeah, yeah. So it's um it's a different way of practicing. I like it. It showed me it was interesting. I actually realized for some people where I might I was a bit more reluctant to space them out when I knew that money was no object at that point. Like they paid that fee. Yeah. And, you know, there were still a few people I realized, oh, if you were paying per visit, I probably would have tried to stretch those visits out a bit quicker. Because I know you're, you know, it's going to help them financially a little bit. Uh-huh. Whereas when it was no object, it's like, actually, no, let's just come back next week. You might be all right for two weeks, but let's not chance it. So it was still, it was interesting to see. I thought I'd kind of got over that a while ago. But it's like, ah, there are little bits where it does still come back in and it does start to.
0: You try to read the patient in the moment and you're like, you can kind of feel it in your gut and you could read the room. You're like, ooh, they're ready to finish. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It was interesting. It was a nice experiment. I'm not sure I'll go back to it, but it was good to try, definitely. I think it'd be great if every chiropractor could try that once. Like, do it for a year and then see what you learn from it. Because it definitely taught me a few things about how I manage patients, how I might maybe change that up a little bit. You know, when I, when I was talking
0: membership before, I always looked at it like, at some point, you know, when they're just maintenance once or twice a month, you can come in or not come in. You're not going to, you know, it's not going to bank to the next month. But I was like, it has to be some kind of upfront fee you kind of like a gym like hey there's a, a 350 signing fee and then after that it's only whatever per And ah, no, right. yeah, yeah. then you're like at least i'm getting covered for that initial busy month
1: yeah yeah i never really experimented yeah i really- think it could be something i think the clinics where it works it's sort of like okay now that you're doing well you know we've got your, your pain you're functioning a lot better yeah hey we have this membership option if you want to do it the thing to me is it always like as a patient i, I would always look at that and go Oh, you okay so you're banking on people paying for that and not coming in
0: yeah, of course, because when you have 500 people on it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a little bit like gym. you know. If they don't. if every person with a gym membership turned up in the gym. You wouldn't be able to use a single minute. <laughs>
0: yeah, please don't come in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's terrible.
1: Yeah, so um, yeah, I think and I think over here in the UK, a lot of people would look at it like that and go, "I'll just pay when I feel I need it." But all right, it, it seems like there's practices that are doing that and doing very well. So I don't know.
0: Well, I think that's a good start. To we've we've come out with the the money part, which was not intended. Yeah, but- it was- It's how it played out um, because this is going to be about uh, building trust and rapport and uh, patient-centered care, but it's also a business. And so I guess we kind of covered that part, which is nice. So you've done things. You were guest lecturing. You were, in 2017, you were awarded a a PG cert in advanced professional practice. Not sure what that means. (laughs) A
1: few other, like a PG cert. What's that? Uh, It's a postgraduate certificate. Ah, So it's, uh, It's on the way to a master's, basically, but it's not a master's.
0: Okay, so you've got this experience. You've had some lectures. You're you're trying to give back, and you're trying to create this patient-centered care model that I think the profession definitely needs, and it sounds like the UK could use that as well. Let's dive into that. What what yeah. is it? What's going on? Uh,
1: so, I mean, patient-centered care is, uh, it is. You're exactly right. It's a buzzword, and uh, I I get a little frustrated when I hear it thrown around a lot. Now, I I hear a lot of people talk about how they're patient-centered, and then thirty seconds later will so show so something shows up. Like you don't you don't really understand what that means. So it's kinda of, the easiest way I explain it is it's the opposite of the doctor centered model of care, which is where traditional medical doctors will be like, no, you follow doctor's orders, you turn up, they diagnose you, they tell you what to do, you do it. Uh, you come in at a time that suits them, they're doing treatments that they think are appropriate. It's all about the doctor and their expertise. It's like they're the hero. They're gonna ride in on their their white knight and save you the you know the the her- the princess, the damsel in distress from this evil disease, and it's all about them. Um, and patient-centered care is the opposite for me. For me, it's about making the patient the hero. So, and it's something we talk about in seminars a little bit. Is uh, the hero's journey? I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah, um, of course, with Campbell. That that whole that whole arc of, of the journey of the hero. That's that's how I see the patient. Now. They're going through that arc, and it's about positioning yourself as the guide. You're the mentor, you're Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're Dumbledore, you're, uh, you know, you're the person who's helping them complete this journey. So it's all about them and their arc. And you're there to help. And you've got expertise, you've got expert knowledge, a ton of experience. There's a lot you can provide for this person, but it's really making sure they remain at the center of it. So like shared decision making is a, is a really big thing with that, But I don't tell my patients, this is what you're going to do or this is what you have to do. I'll give them my advice, but it's very clear that we're treating them as an equal and that we're both going to decide as a team where we're going to go from here.
0: I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit, but I'm also curious because I have the same mentality and sometimes you get the people that are just like, ah, you, I'm paying you, you're the doctor. Like, I don't know if I need acupuncture. I don't know if I need this exercise or that exercise. So how are, how do you approach those patients or do you get that often?
1: Yeah, yeah, you do. It's, um, and it's, it's good. I'm fine with that. I think it depends on the patient in front of me. Sometimes I'll say, well, look, yeah, I'm the expert in the spine. I'm the expert in the musculoskeletal system, but you're the expert in you. Mm-hmm. I don't know about your life. You know that really well. And if we're going to make this work for you and your life and your body, we need both sets of expertise. So if I think they need a bit of encouragement and it will help me relax to go, Oh, I can maybe have an opinion on this maybe i've got something to bring to the table i might say like that sometimes i don't go there i might just and it might not be okay something we could do today is some acupuncture do you think acupuncture would be beneficial for you you know they're going to go well you tell me Uh, but i might just say so something that's really helpful in these cases would be to add some acupuncture and how do you feel about that and it's yeah i'm still presenting it this is my expert opinion there but i'm making sure they have that opportunity to say Yeah, sounds good. Or, oh, I really don't like needles. Or, Uh I don't know, it sounds a bit, I I don't know about that alternative. Is there another
0: option except that? Yeah,
1: yeah. And it's um much more about, I think, the vibe and the atmosphere and the relationship that you set at the start. Is I want it to be clear right from the start that you're a human being, I'm a human being, I'm here to help you get what you want out of care. And I want us to work together, and I want you to be an active part of that process. And I respect your opinion, I respect your take on things, and I'm not going to make you do anything you really don't want to do. I might give you a nudge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, I, I, I just want them to feel relaxed and feel that it's okay for them to say, "Oh, I'm not sure about that," or "Hang on, why are you doing that?" or "What's this doing?" or "How come this?" You know, I want them to really be able to ask questions and find out more. Because if they don't learn anything by the end of that hero's journey, what was the point? You know, if, if Luke does the whole thing and gets back and just goes and lives, you know, with his, with his uncle for the rest of his life and hasn't done anything, nobody's watching that.
0: So what do you think about rehab? Does, does rehab have to be in the patient-centered care? Like, is that a, a mandatory aspect of it? Because, <laughs> you know, people could be like, I want to go back to the gym. I want to do a marathon. I just need to do TheraBands. That's, all I, that's the level I want.
1: Let's, let's do my external rotation stuff. Yeah, I can fix my shoulder from. Um, I mean, it's it's very rare I wouldn't give some sort of active care to somebody, but I I think you've got to meet them where they're at. Some people, if I can get them to do ten cat and camels once a day, like I'm happy with that. That's a victory. They they took 30 seconds out of their day to help themselves. Great. I love when they're so honest. They're like, I'm not going to do those, doc. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I, I love that as well i think when when they tell me i haven't done it or oh, i don't have time for that it's like great they feel okay telling me that yeah. they don't feel they have to lie to me
0: can i just come back on friday <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, yeah you know, some people i'm, I'm happy with if that's all that we can do if that's a step forward for them great other people you know it's about calming them down they're yeah. like what are the next fifty thousand exercises i can do by next week it's like whoa let's let's add this one give that a go so you know you've got to Often they're big into CrossFit or, or certain sports or things like that. Yeah. Um, so some people, I have, to, I have to bring them back a bit. But I like to give them as much as I think they can reasonably handle right now to help themselves. There's a, there's a Navajo saying I heard a few years ago that I love. It says, um, it's easiest to ride a horse in the direction that it's going. And that's, that's the approach I take with patients. It's like, they're heading this way. It's much easier for me to jump on at that point and then maybe steer them. And try to grab them and go. I know you want to go here, but I'm going to try and wrestle you the other way. I find that very, very rarely works, and you usually end up with a frustrated doctor and a frustrated patient.
0: Let's think these vitalistic chiropractors. I'm like, how hard are you just banging on people's <laughs> heads about <laughs> this innate intelligence and all this type of stuff? Because it's like, man, it's hard enough to get people to do exercises, much less change their entire viewpoint on the medical model and all of that.
1: Having said, that, I don't. I don't think it's a little controversial. I don't think that's a vitalistic problem. Okay. I mean, that is, that is definitely part of it. But I think on the evidence-based side, we have just as much that problem. Uh It looks very, and we use science and, you know, we embrace a more medical model to a degree. And we, you know, we're not trying to change their whole paradigm and kind of give them this whole new philosophy, but, but we, we still fall into that trap. It's like a bell curve to me. And I think you have extremes on both ends that I, you know, I, I see doctor centered chiropractors, equally on both sides of that spectrum. We like to say in the evidence base that, oh, those doctor-centered, minoristic chiropractors, and, you know, the extreme high-volume guys banging them on the head, yeah, you know, that's not how I'd ever want to practice, but I, I see it on our side as well. I hear the way people talk, and I hear the way they, you know, they set their practices up, and I think that's, it's better, I think, in that you're not trying to, Sell them a bunch, you know, but they, they can still use a lot of nocebo. They can still use a lot of quite fear based language. They can still use certainly quite a lot of guilt. Ah. Uh, I think we're all guilty of that as clinicians sometimes of sort of guilting patients a bit. And, you know, and we might say, well, this is, there was a, a phrase I, it was in the FTCA group I heard a few years ago and I, I put it on a slide. I haven't put their name, but I, I <laughs> stuck with this so much. We were talking about like empathy and they were like, ah, well, if they're not going to turn up, then forget them. And I was like, okay. But, that doesn't that doesn't fit with being empathic if you're saying they have to do it your way so oh i've got all the empathy in the world for them when they're in my office but if they don't follow my advice they're on their own <laughs> <laughs> like, i think empathy's not the word you're searching for there i know what you mean i don't think that's empathy um no, I think no, that's, no. Yeah. and it's so it's things like that where it's uh, i'm not trying to excuse all the stuff that happens on the other side either but no. um yeah we we have that problem on both sides i think yeah But it's, but definitely that trying to bang them over the head with stuff. I tried it. I don't think it works very well. It'll work for some, but you end up, and then that's when they go, oh, how do I, and this is what I find when people, if they, when they're asking me questions, if we're on a seminar or things like that, and we're on Facebook, they're like, how do I explain it so patients get it? How do I say this? Like, what are the words I need to use? What's the explanation? And, you know, what do you do for your report of findings? And they want me to give them, not necessarily a script, but like, here are the phrases. (laughs) <laughs> they do, yeah. <laughs> even once, i don't want a script but i want the framework and i want to be able to fit my words into that script and i have to kind of bring them back and go you you think communication is all about talking like that's step two step one is you've got to listen and if you don't listen then they're not going to listen to you want have all these this really useful knowledge we could really help people and we want to impart that to them but we don't stop and go what they emotional state can they even hear advice and rather than thinking i can picture in my head the best possible outcome for this person i'm going to try and push them up that hill you know i try to think okay what's the realistically what's the best outcome right now for this person bearing in mind where they're at you know factoring in the fact that they've got a sick parent in the minute and they've got three kids and their business is struggling because of a lockdown, you know, yes, I could give them 40 minutes of rehab each day and that would probably do better, but I can do that and none of it gets done or I can give them 10 cat camels and they'll get that done maybe every other day. Like To me, that's the better outcome. It's about being realistic, I think. That's a really, really key thing. And I, I think we, we don't do that very easily as clinicians, often because we maybe haven't experienced their life ourselves or – you know we know this stuff we know about the spine we know about the muscular skeletal system we study it, and we've studied it because it's so cool it's like really really interesting and that's why we study. That's why we spent all that time and money memorizing stuff out of textbook from going into it you don't go into that as a you don't become a clinician if you're not really interested in the body and then we come out and find out a lot of these patients just don't care yeah they really don't yeah i had this with um one of our associates when she first started out, she was like, just getting frustrated. She's like, why don't they care? This is their body. It's so important. I said to her, I was like, yeah, to you, but to them, like it's, it's, it's a car. It's a vehicle that gets like when I, I'm not a car guy, I've no interest in if it gets me from A to B and it doesn't cost a lot of the money, I'm happy. Like my wife's the petrol head. She's into that, but, um, I take my car to the mechanic because something's acting up and he opens the bonnet, he looks in it, he starts telling me, yeah, it's this, and the carburetor's backing up to the piston. I don't even know what he he's, he's using all this jargon, and I don't want to look like an idiot. So I go, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, no, that makes, oh, yeah, the carburetor, yeah, cool. Ah, uh, that would be why the thing with, yes, absolutely. Oh, that makes total sense. And I'm nodding and smiling. I've got no clue what he means. Yeah, the headling I, I Just tell me how much it's going to cost, man. Like, can you fix it? Can I have my car back? Uh, that's all i care about and maybe if he said you know what when you change gear do this tiny little thing and it might be a bit better i might do that maybe <laughs> i'm not going to completely change all my driving habits but he might give me one little tip that i can take on board but it's just a car i just don't care about it and for some people that's their spine that's their body
0: yeah fish and chips are better than eating clean and healthy yeah,
1: exactly <laughs> Well, they just they don't care about the ins and outs. You know, that's, that's where, especially new grads, I find The way we teach them over here, their report findings is a 15 minute anatomy lecture. Aye. And you're pointing out the facet joint on the spine model right in front of them and like, this
0: is what gets inflamed.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's great for the 5% you are interested. 95% are nodding and smiling because they don't want to look stupid in front of you. Yeah. And then they're walking out going, I don't remember a thing they just said. And now I'm too embarrassed to ever ask about it.
0: Well, and that follows up with two questions for you now then. Is there wording or uh, some analogies that you've been able to, what does a chiropractor do? Why are you snapping my neck and whatnot? <laughs> and then before I, you answer that one, one of the things you mentioned was um, I was, I was going to ask you about asking their goals, meeting them where they are. Is that part of your process? Asking them, like, what do you want from this?
1: Yeah, that, that to me, that's uh, from a from a rapport point of view, that's my number one objective in the history is find out what's missing from this person's life. Mm. Because they never come in with pain relief. They think they do, and we think they do, but they never come in because of the pain. And that explains why you have the people who, they've had it for five years. Why are they turning up now, not five years ago? And it's because this pain or these symptoms or whatever it is, it's taken something from their life that they want back. In that story circle, you know, the hero's journey, they have a need. And that's what's brought them to come and see you. And if I can find that out, then I can show them, I know what you want which makes them go, great, okay, I trust this person. They know what I want. They're not trying to sell me their goal for me, you know, yeah. whether that's a subluxation-free spine or a strong core, a biomechanically ideal, you know, low back. We're not having to sell them and pitch them our goal for them. It's all about, right, you really want to be able to get back to getting in the gym because you want to lose 10 pounds because you're aware you're getting a bit older and you're worried that your spouse isn't finding you attractive. That's a really powerful motivator if I know that. Mm-hmm. And then I can say, Here's how we're going to do that, you know, and every recommendation I make is geared towards that rather than, oh, you've come in here because of back pain. But I really want you to have this really strong core and I really want you to be able to move and like learn to hit hinge properly and get your power spine. Like it's just so over the head,
0: which could sometimes still be the same
1: goal. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah. You want
0: this. Yeah. I have to do this, but we're going to
1: frame it. You want to get in the gym and lose weight, right? We, we've got to get you strengthening that spine first because you want to go deadlifting all that and you haven't you know, done a squat for 10 years. We've got some work to do. But suddenly it's not do these bird dog exercises because it'll make you stronger and it will make me happier. Right. Yeah, you know, They're not going like, Oh, I've got to do this because my chiropractor said, I got to do this. And you know, it's good for my back. It's like, I'm eating healthy because it's good for my health. It's like, no, I'm doing this so I can get back to the gym in a few weeks time. Yeah. That's way more powerful. And it's exactly like you say, it's exactly the same advice, but they get it and go, great, I'll do that. Yeah. And it's, yeah, that, that's a really, really key thing for me is finding out what that goal is. And, it's usually a process of discovery for them because they often don't realize that until we have the conversation. Quite quite often we'll have that conversation the history and within a few minutes they're going, yeah, actually, no, that is, that is what's really bothering me. It's, like, yeah, it's not the back pain. It's the fact that I can't relax in the evenings and I'm getting a bit irritable with my kids. I don't like that. I feel like I'm letting them down as a far you know. You don't necessarily go that deep with everybody straight away. Like, some you'll never get there. Like, don't probe into the emotional impact too much. <laughs> a type a closed off, very stoic kind of person. But, um, but yeah, that, that's, that's a key thing for me. Um, if I don't know what their goal is by the end of the consultation, I consider that a failure to, a failure of me to really connect with them. Um, and it's going to make my job a lot harder going forward. So I really try to make sure we get that. All
0: right. So let's say we have a, uh, 36 year old female desk worker hand goes numb, also goes numb at night. Suspecting a disc bulge, uh, also some scalene tightness. You know you're gonna to do some stretches, some cracking, and some exercises. How do you explain to them like what's going on?
1: I keep it really simple now. I I say a lot less than I used, way less than I graduated. To the point that some, you know, I've I've had some colleagues be like, can you? Is that informed consent? You haven't got a model out. You haven't, you know. <laughs> What a facet. Direction. And they
0: stick around?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause it turns out most of them don't care. They want to know that you know. They like to hear a diagnosis. They definitely like to hear this thing has a name. Uh-huh. Then they're like, Oh, it's a thing that exists. Great. People know about it. Um, but I just keep it all in their language. I'm usually doing it during the examination. Um, I like to, I'll often, uh, talk about what I think I'm going to find first of all. So we have uh-huh. the history and I go, it sounds to me like you've got a bit of a disc bulge in the neck. I might show them a little picture usually on Google pretty easily yeah. just so they can see what that is that's what I'm gonna look for in the examination but we're gonna check everything else and then if we find that I go right you see how that bit there is really painful that's what I was talking about it's got really inflamed those nerves are unhappy and that explains why when you turn your head to the right you're gonna that tingling running down the arm so I'm linking and I'm using the words they gave me it's always about what they said linking back to their symptoms So the it starts during the examination, really. I'm explaining what we're finding, how that's starting to fit this picture together. In terms of why I'm I'm cracking and stabbing and stretching and pulling and moving around, I'm going to get that area moving better. We're going to get it working better. That that can be it. It's And they'll ask if they want to know. For most people, I go, look, the best thing we can do for this right now is to get these stuck areas freed up, get some more blood flow in there, start to get those nerves calming down. Most effective way to do that, in my opinion, would be to use what we call an adjustment, very fast stretch you might hear some popping noises little bubbles in the joint that's on and then i'll, I'll show them what we're going to do you know so, some hands-on so they know as much as possible what to expect but i'm basically saying yeah that bit there that's not working i'm going to do a thing that's going to get that working properly it's going to feel like this and for quite a few people that's enough yeah and for some people i go and then usually they'll come back the second visit and go right so what are you actually doing there and then I can put on my little anatomy hat and go, ah, you want to know? Great. And I can just vomit anatomy all over them. <laughs> no, till their eyes
0: glaze over.
1: <laughs> yeah, but that was where I struggled um, earlier on in my career. Is I love the teaching part. I love getting patients to understand more about their body. I think the better they know about their body, the better care they can take of it, the better they're going to do. But I was forcing that on everybody because I was into it. Yeah, that and that's a version of doctored centered practice. I wanted them to know it, so I tried to make sure they did. And most don't care.
0: You mean you didn't make them come to a class on their first visit and bring their spouse? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't about anatomy. It was about a, it was about the hero's journey and anthropology. It was a totally different thing. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, it's I, I love that stuff. And if they give me an inkling that they're into that, I'll go great. I can start to start to maybe show them a little bit more, but. Yeah, 90% of people, you know, it's like the old school report of findings, like what's wrong? Can you fix it? How long will it take? Yeah, that's really what they want to know. So I try and get to that as quick as possible. And I try to give them the information they need in as few words as possible in as simple terms as possible with absolutely nothing unnecessary at that moment.
0: They should be able to tell the person outside what, what they just had experienced.
1: Yeah. I look, that's the, what, Kieran O'Sullivan test? Is that it? When you say to them, right, so when you go home and your other half says, well, what did they say? What are you going to tell them? It's a really good question to ask right at the end. And then you find out, oh, no, that's, they think there's a bone out of place or something. <laughs> yeah.
0: I can see why chiropractors said it. It was so easy. So easy to explain what happened.
1: Oh, a lot not of my accurate, patients still so think I'm easy. putting bones back in place. I, I probably it wouldn't surprise if 25% of my patients thought I'm still doing that, oh, yeah. despite me telling them that's not it in very clear terms. There's a fixation and there's a, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you, you do a push, they hear a cracking noise, they feel a movement and they feel better. How could that not be a bone out of place to them? Um, right. Yeah. And like, we can bang our heads on the wall too much about that sometimes, you know.
0: I say crack a neck because there's so many people said it anyway. I just kind of joke with it and then yeah, like, I don't yeah. care if that's what you think we're doing. I mean, there's a crack noise. That's great. Actually, Whatever.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that's that, like, it's that's that same thing. It's meeting them where they're at. It's riding the horse in the direction that it's going. If it's not causing a big problem for that person, I don't feel I have to counter every non-accurate belief they have about their body. Right. Uh, All right. Yeah. That's what, that's, you know, the pain science folks would. Probably tie me up against the tree for that one. But um, I don't believe that every time a person has a belief that isn't totally factually accurate, it's going to make them a chronic mess and it's going to make them fear avoidant and dependent forever. It does happen. I definitely think it happens a lot more than it should. But some patients, that's just what they believe. And if I try and correct that belief, I'm just going to end up destroying the rapport. And then they'll go see somebody else who might maybe reinforce it
0: episode 166 dr larry Bins, he's a physical therapist got his doctorate and a lot of the stuff that you're talking about he kind of chats about it. not exactly the same way but definitely has a he's like placebo nocebo
1: uh, placebo. yeah yeah yeah, nocebo, <laughs> that's the one yeah yeah he uh, i mean that stuff's amazing i, I love that and i've really uh incorporated a lot of what's come out of that you know pain science sort of revolution yeah. over the last few years i think it's it's every clinician should know about that stuff because it's it's so important. But I think it can become a dogma like anything else. Like how you
0: word it to people matters. Like if you set oh, up acupuncture okay. is going to be painful, guess what? It will be painful for them.
1: Yeah, you're going to feel a sharp scratch. You've just guaranteed that, haven't you? <laughs>
0: yeah. Good. Good. Well, let's switch gears a little bit. We got two gears to shift into. Uh, there's usually four, maybe six, depending on the car. Uh, we're in about four now. Um, All right. Cool. Marketing. You're a cash practice in a small town. What are you doing to get patients?
1: Uh, Well, we're quite lucky in that the practice itself has been established for about 35 years. So the vast majority of people now are coming to us through word of mouth, which is really great. We don't do a ton of external marketing. We have a Facebook page. I think any professional marketer would look at our Facebook page and go, what are you doing? (laughs) It's the web page that makes a difference.
0: Yeah. Are y'all story
1: branded or what are y'all doing? Um. No, we're not really, to be honest. We, that's, that's something that I've been thinking for a while. We should do a bit more of with the clinic is, is to up that a bit more. But to be honest, we, it's a lot of it comes through word of mouth. Uh, Google reviews have been helpful. That's huge. One thing we got that up. Um, we made that a focus last year. So we're up to about 60, I think, which is head and shoulders above other ones in the area. And that makes a big difference. That's, and to me, I love that because it's free and it's permanent. Yeah, and wow. you know, and the nice thing is, we sort of encourage patients to do that i think the key time to ask is when they're expressing enthusiasm before they get better yeah because once they're like this i find this is like we find their goal and it's a really powerful emotive goal and we're like right it's going to take us probably three months but we're going to get you back to being able to play with your kids on the floor again and have that great time and feel like a good parent and it's going to be so meaningful and you're going to, you know, you, you're going to thank me at every speech you give for the rest of your life. It's going to be amazing, life-changing. And they're all like, yeah, I'm going to do it. That's great. And they're getting there and they're feeling amazing. And then they get there and you see them like a week after. They're like, yeah, I'm good. Like, well, how was your weekend? Yeah, were you able to play with the kids? Yeah, we played with the floor a little bit. They completely forgot how bad they were. I know. So I'm like, what's This is a life-changing thing. But, you know, it's, you it, know, the analogy is a bit like if you if you're throwing a ball for a dog, like, I don't treat my patients like dogs. People don't like this metaphor. <laughs> it, but the, the, When you look at a dog and it's really, really happy, it's not when it's at your feet with the ball. And it's not when it's trotting back to you. It's when it's going for the ball, when it can see it's gaining on it. That's when that dog's like, it's in the zone. It's really, really happy. It's all enthusiastic because it's about to get the goal, but it hasn't got there. Uh-huh. It's the same with patients. When they can see they're making tangible progress, they're like, I'm going to get my goal. And that's—it doesn't have to be a a goal with me. That could be somebody, you know, they're about to get that that car they've saved up for for years. They're about to get a promotion. You're about to go on this amazing holiday. And then within a couple of weeks afterwards, you're like, "Yeah, well, next." It's like it's totally dropped down. So that's the time I think to ask is before they get better. And we just send them a little email just to make it super easy for them, just reduce the friction. Here's the link to our practice. We'd love it if you just write a couple of yeah, couple of sentences, just saying. You know, what you came in with, what your experience was like in the clinic and the difference it's made for you. And it might be too often, but it's telling them what to write. Because if you just say, hey, would you leave us a review? People get a bit of writer's block and, oh, don't know what to say. So having that, reducing that friction has definitely helped. I've, I've been networking with uh, a few local gyms as well, because my ideal patients are, I, I like more of the athletes and the sporting uh, types, which I, I never used to when I graduated. I hated that. But the last few years, that's become a, a, more of an interest of mine. So I've been networking with like those, the people who see those people coming in and there's a couple of local gyms. I know a few of the trainers. They know what I'm about. And so they're referring pretty steadily. I think that's a good thing to do if there's a particular niche you're after is find the people who see those people and then network with them rather than, you know, it's good to put out and I'm sure we could do a better job putting out Facebook ads targeting, you know, amateur athletes and things like that. But, um, Yeah, we're fortunate that we're well-established enough and we've got a busy enough, you know, enough patients coming in that we can afford to be lazy with the marketing, really. Yeah, that's a nice nice
0: advantage. One of the things we we tend to do is uh, we have these goals. We fight to get them. And then once you get them, you never celebrate them. And you Mm. just move on to the next thing. We never just pause and look in the rearview mirror and just acknowledge where we were and where we are now. It's a huge thing that we should do. And those that do it, they don't burn out. And they just, they have more purpose. Research has shown that. So it's just one of those little reminders for everybody.
1: I I think in a way, actually, I I haven't thought about it. But I kind of do that with patients. Like, I'll do that when we have our first review. It's like, right, let's recap where you were. You were here. You were feeling like this. You couldn't do this. You couldn't do that. Remember in your examination, I found this and this and this. And now we've done your first review. That You're feeling better. You're moving better. You're starting to get back into the gym. Your neck's moving a lot better. Your shoulder's feeling loose. So it's sort of a... It's even like that before and after comparison. I find people really respond to that. And then doing that towards the end of care as well. I think recapping, like you say, remember the rear view mirror. Look at where you were. Look at where you are now. That's great. Let's celebrate that. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: All right. Fifth gear. We, uh, <laughs> we typically have busy schedules. We're not able to take vacation like we want to. We have spouses and things like that. So the question is, how are you able to take more time off and how are you keep the love alive? You know, divorced. <laughs>
1: yeah, that, that's an ongoing area of focus for me. I am a definite workaholic in recovery, you know, always taking on more and more stuff. And uh, something my wife has been really instrumental in helping me see that and helping to make change, sometimes with the carrot, sometimes with the stick. She's great because she. It's not work when you love it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, she's, she's been great because she's really good at seeing when I'm kidding myself uh-huh. and she'll just call me she's greek she's very blunt she says it as she sees it she doesn't play you know if if i've upset her she doesn't do the whole i'm fine i'm fine thing she tells me exactly why she's upset (laughs) exactly what it was that i did um so that's been really helpful because she's really pointed out to me a lot of how yeah you think you're doing all right but you're really burning at both ends and you know we're not seeing you as much as we'd like to so she's been really instrumental in that for me it's I'm really focusing now on making sure I've got that free time in the diary that's not, okay, that's free time, but I'm going to put patience into it or I'm going to work on the website there or I'm going to build a new seminar or I'm going to, you know, I'm not looking to fill that. I'm trying to go, where's the empty space that I can keep empty? Yeah. And then if something cool comes up, great, but sometimes something cool might come up and I go, I could put it there. I'd like to keep that empty. I think it's really important to have that switch off time where you're not doing something or planning something. Like, for me, I I love podcasts and audiobooks. And normally, I, you know, I'm driving anywhere I've got one on. I'm walking anywhere I've got one on. I'm doing any of the chores around the house I've got one on. And recently, uh, it was an audiobook that suggested this, ironically. It said, "Yeah, take some time to unplug. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have the headphones in. And that's been a bit of a game changer because it's like, oh, it's just me and my thoughts here.
0: Yeah.
1: Got, I can't just distract from maybe I'm overdoing it and maybe I'm a bit stressed out. But I can distract, 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 distract. I'm really good at kidding myself and that's been a really nice way to go okay maybe I'll put some music on but maybe I'll just have that uh one of my coaches called the intimate time with yourself which uh yeah I like that phrase and then I say it to people and they chuckle and go it sounds a bit different <laughs> yeah
0: it's a good point like uh when I was in China I had way more free time I didn't have a kid so like you I was just
1: I'd oh yeah, don't in. have a kid. If you want that balance, don't have a kid. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly.
0: You don't even have to worry. About it. So yeah, it, it was. I was. I'd always walk in, and but anytime I would travel, you got more time on the subway. You're doing all these different things, but I'm like, you know, I want to hear. I want to hear the sounds of Japan. I want to mm. hear them talking. I want to uh, hear yeah. the horns. I want to. I want to experience everything. I don't have to be plugged in so much. And even here, like my commute, I just ride my bike, like what one and a half kilometers, and that work. So there's not a lot of time, even if you take the train to really plug into anything. By the time you're ready, you're already yeah. off the train. It's like so anyway. So I've learned to let myself not feel guilty about always doing something or
1: uh, taking notes yeah. for a
0: podcast episode, minisode, or I've something. Got to be like doing that.
1: something productive right now. Like I, I'm wasting time otherwise. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. So now I just I found some music podcast and I just enjoy that because every every week it's new music that you've never heard and
1: yeah. I think that's definitely it. That and that was the learning thing for me it was it was a book on being productive, and they sort of said the one of the key things is to stop trying to be productive all the time. Because if you don't, you know, it's it's like training. Like you want to go and get strong, great. You can't spend five hours in the gym every day. You've got to, you know, you get stronger when you rest. It's it's when you're not using the muscle, it heals and gets stronger. It's it's the same thing with the brain. And that's yeah, that's something I've been definitely finding works better now. But it's, it's very much, I wouldn't claim to be, yes, I have got the master work life balance thing. It's a, uh, it's an ongoing project, but definitely
0: very good. Last piece, any books, podcasts or resources that we should check out?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've been. I've been really getting into getting things done by David Allen, which is, just, it's been a really, really good system for just getting a bit organized. The whole idea is basically you get everything out of your head. You don't rely on your brain to remember anything. It's the worst. And it's a fairly complicated, but really comprehensive system for making sure that you're tracking all that stuff out of your head. And that's really helped for me. It made, I made the rookie mistake of I was getting the stuff I needed to get done in about half the time. So I was like being twice as productive. So I took on twice as much. Uh. <laughs> and that's where like, I'm on a strict project diet now. I had this uh, this guy, Derek Sivers had a, an article. He says, I have a hell yeah or no approach to things. Where if somebody says, do you want to do something? If my response isn't hell yeah, and then it's no. It's not the, yeah, that could be cool kind of thing. So that's been good. And definitely using that along with, like we've talked about, having that free time and trying to do a bit less. Um, the, I think one book that if I could get, Probably, it's probably my favorite book ever. And I think if everybody could read this book, it would change the world. It's called The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt. It's H-A-I-D-T. Um, he's a professor of psychology and he wrote this book. It's all about the sub thing is, uh, why people disagree about politics and religion. And he's done loads of research on where we get our sense of morality from and the differences for different people. And he wrote it as a very left-wing academic wondering like how do all these I inhabit a country with all these right-wing people and they're just you know they're not good people why is why is that and then he studied it and he's realized oh no i just didn't understand this. and now he looks at it and he's, he's got a much more nuanced view of it and he can talk to people on the right on the left and he can empathize with both and that's really helped me have conversations with people who i fundamentally disagree with on some pretty big things but it's allowed me to see oh they have a different their sense of morality means something different to them. They have other different values, and I can appreciate that. and understand why they've, you know, made the decisions they do, why they hold the beliefs they do, without thinking, well, they're not a good person because I don't feel that way. And it's helped with patients. It explains why patients do things that I think are just completely insane. Like, why would you do that? That's such a dumb thing to do. It's because their values are different to mine, yeah. so they're not going to make the same decisions. Yeah, I, I wax lyrical about it because it's, it's, it's the most important book I could recommend that I know of to anybody. Um, and yeah, the way things are so fractured and polarized right now, like if we all understood that and we all understood how to talk to people we disagree with, well, uh, world would be a very different place. So I, uh, yeah, that would be my number one thing, I think. Yeah. <laughs> it, it almost <laughs>
0: feels like they, they read a book, how to like win or how to polarize people. And then it turned into, if you don't agree with me in a hundred percent, you're mm. an immoral person.
1: Yeah. And I don't need to respect
0: you at all because you don't agree with everything in this topic list. And you're like, yeah, "Yeah, but I'm at, I'm three out of five.
1: (laughs) I think this is probably the problem with the internet is now we all have access to all this information. Like we have the opportunity to fall prey to Dunning Kruger a hundred times a day. Like we can all become armchair. you You see it now with the COVID thing. Every, like every other colleague and every other friend of mine has suddenly become an epidemiologist or a virologist overnight. And it's because they read a little bit. They massively overestimate what they actually think you know, they know about it. Uh-huh. And then they start telling other people. And then other people disagree with them. And they'll be like, oh, if you haven't watched this YouTube video, then you're an idiot because you don't understand it. Yeah, and I think that's maybe the problem is before we had access to all this information, we sort of respected the. No, people who've spent years studying this stuff, we should listen to them. Yeah, they know more than and we do. people who haven't, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I mean it doesn't mean, you know, there's problems with experts as well, but I'm gonna go off on a whole rant about that. If I don't
0: stop. <laughs> That's how I feel like a lot of the political leaders like us us peons say stuff and you're like, Yeah, we don't have a clue what actual information these people have. And then we yeah. will never know. And so sometimes I'm like, why don't we just shut up?
1: it's crazy it's it's a difficult thing to balance but um yeah i think that's that's something i would love if more people i'm doing it now read if you read that book you'll become more more moral like me but uh, i I think that's a really cool one i love as well that's completely separate for like relationships is uh five love languages
0: oh so good
1: yeah i that that to me that for my wife and i that was a big game changer it's like i'm all about words of appreciation I want her to tell me she loves me. And then I tell her that and I tell her that all the time. And then I get annoyed when she it doesn't seem to sink in because for her, it's quality time. Oh yeah. Okay. I'm not spending quality time with her. I can be telling her I love her all the time, but if my head's in my work, then she feels she's not feeling that love from me. So that's been, and that's kind of the same thing. I think that it's uh, it's what I like about the communication stuff is that it's improved my marriage. And I say this every seminar and every training. It's like, this: is don't go and take this to the clinic and make this a work thing because you're missing most of the benefit. These are human skills. You can use these to improve any interaction. And if you only do it with patients, even if that's all you care about, then your patients are getting your first attempt, not your third or fourth attempt where you're starting to get going with it. So yeah, anything that improves your relationships with people you love is going to improve your care at some level with, with patients. I think.
0: Is it common for uh, British people to marry non-British people?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, there's less of us than you guys, so I guess we have to at some point. I don't know. Um, you're saying this because I have a Greek wife, I take
0: it. Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, I don't. I don't know. I mean, we we probably there's there's more Europeans in the UK and there's more there's a lot more. People. People in, in Europe and the UK as well, They're like the big expat communities. So. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I don't know. I, it, it just happened. It just, yeah, we we met uh, while we were in college in a little village in South Wales, actually, coincidentally. So, yeah, it just. just there we is. go. That's an interesting point. I don't know. now I'm, I'm going to go and look up some stats on this tomorrow because I'm <laughs> that fun kind of guy. I'm going <laughs> to dig into some research on this.
0: Well, I, you know, I married a Chinese lady, and so the cultural differences is kind of fun and. It, Keeps hmm. things interesting. And I'm sure you still have the same, you know, type of stuff with, uh, like, why did yeah, you yeah. by that? Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. If you've ever seen the film, my big fat Greek wedding, that was, that was an average to not that great rom-com to me um, until I met her. And then I met her family. And now it's like a nature documentary. Like It's so true. That film has got funnier and funnier the more Greek people I've met. And they all hold it as well. In fact, the first time, (laughs) the night I met her parents, I came round for dinner, had this lovely dinner, and then we go and sit down in the living room, and they put that film on. (laughs) And I'm sat there with my wife on one side of me and my future mother-in-law on the other, and every five minutes that something funny happens, she's nudging me like, ah, we do that, you know. Yeah. (laughs) And not content with that, she then... uh, after that, she got out her wedding album, because they kind of skip over the wedding ceremony in that film a bit. Uh-huh. It's a big, it's a two, three-hour thing for Greeks. It's a huge deal. So she talks me through the ins and outs of a Greek wedding ceremony. Meanwhile, my girl, my wife, my girlfriend at the time, and her dad are in the kitchen just laughing, going, let's see how long this one lasts.
0: <laughs> Not even ready to propose, just enough to meet you. <laughs> yeah, it's just like,
1: okay, yeah. Uh, well, I took the hint. Uh, <laughs> we I got like them back. I boy. told that story in my wedding speech as well, so I got them back for that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah.
0: Well, how can people reach you, contact you, and find out more about your seminars and all that?
1: So the best place for me is Facebook. It's facebook.com slash patient-centered. Um, we do a weird thing in the UK where we spell words differently to you guys. So uh, centered is C-E-N-T-R-E-D. We skip out an E in that. Or you can find me at patientcentered.co.uk. I actually, because of that, I bought both domains. So for the website, you can spell it either way because I thought that would make it easier. But for Facebook, it's, yeah, facebook.com slash patient, C-E-N-T-R-E-D. Uh, or you can find me, Chris, at UK. Looking back, I should probably have picked a different name because I didn't realize uh, how difficult that might be with you folks across the pond and... <laughs> at least you got both domains. That's great. Yeah, I got both domains. I thought I'll do that. I did, it doesn't work so well with Facebook, but Facebook's the best place to find me. With that basically, yeah. i I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at replying to people. I quite like to find out more about people and, and get a discussion going. So, yeah. All right. Well, I will
0: have a show notes page with the transcript, the book resources, and you know, it's funny you said that because a doctorsperspective.com was some dumb holder site for somebody. and oh, yeah. And like this year, a couple of months ago, I was like, oh, let me just see what's going on with that site. It was gone. So I bought it. So oh, nice. That's why I'm .net, because .com was
1: taken and now I got both. Uh, I'm like, right. Woo! <laughs> they're all coming around. I see people now, they're not even doing .com or .net. They do like a doctor's .perspective or patient patient.sensitive. Yeah. Like there's no .com or anything at the end of it. Yeah. I'm like, We're, it's so confusing.
0: .ly. Come on,
1: guys. Yeah. <laughs> Leaving out letters. Yeah. We do .com UK here, which confuses the heck out of everyone outside of the UK. They're like, .co.uk? <laughs> Come on, guys.
0: Well, Dr. Chris, this is great. Uh, a lot of good information today, and I know that um, people are going to get some good tips out of that, so I really appreciate your time this week.
1: Lovely. Thanks for having me, man. It's really nice to chat to you. Really appreciate coming on.
0: Another great interview has ended. While you're on your phone, click that review button. Write up a nice review for me. Five stars if you could. As everyone says in the industry, it'll help other people to find us when we have enough rankings. Not to mention, I'll mention you and your review on an upcoming episode. If you follow me at all on Instagram, you know you only get one link. So I use a link tree. And so it's a doctorsperspective.net slash links with an S. And that's going to give you everything you need to know. The top episodes of 2017 and 2018, the podiatry series, dentist, acupuncture series, Holiday 2017, financial series, how to write a review, how to support the show, like buying a cup of coffee, getting swag, like T-shirts. The Today's choices Tomorrow's Health book. That's the blueprints for better health, exercise, picking food correctly and financial. And then, of course, bundle packs, which can get you the no-needle acupuncture book for 40 common conditions, including the electric acupuncture pin, at a great deal. The resources page has some of the products that I like. It's a affiliate style, so if you buy something from them, I get a piece of that. Just like on the show notes pages, if you buy a book from clicking that link, I get a small piece of that as well. So I really appreciate that. Things like Screencast-O-Matic, PureVPN, Missing Letter, JLab Speakers, Prolone Edge or Hawk Grips. Uh, once again, if you do need any coaching on how to improve some of your blood work, drop weight, and the ProLone Diet, Fast Mimicking Diet, five-day plan. Let me know, as well as if you just need some coaching, whether it's health, whether it's marketing, whether you need some practice growth, etc. reach out, Facebook, Justin Trostclair, MCC. Of course, at a doctorsperspective.net on the top right, you got all the social media icons that you can imagine. Click your favorite and reach out. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please tell a friend, pass it along. You can go to .net slash listen. It's just that easy. It'll open up right in your app. And don't forget, I appreciate you. Listen, critically think, and integrate. See you on the mini-sodes on Thursdays and Saturdays. Hope you're enjoying those. I'm definitely having fun summarizing these podcasts in less than 10 minutes for you. You get the nuggets without having to waste your time. Have a great week. i